Welcome to Mostly Books Meets. We're the team at Mostly Books, an award-winning independent bookshop in Abingdon. In this podcast series, we'll be speaking to authors, journalists, poets, and a range of professionals from the world of publishing. We'll be asking about the books that are special to them, from childhood favourites to the book that changed their life, and we hope you'll join us for the journey. In the podcast this week, I'm speaking to children's author Ashley Fowler. Ashling's debut book, Fireborn, is published today. The book, which is being billed as the middle grade debut of the decade, is in turn exciting, funny and heart-wrenchingly sad. New to the world of publishing, Ashling has been an avid fan of books and writing from an early age. Ashling, welcome to Mostly Books Meets. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. It's really lovely to be here. It's great to have you on here. I'd mentioned briefly before we started the recording that we kind of said hello very briefly at the Booksellers Association conference a couple of weeks ago when you were basically surrounded by a bunch of booksellers after your book had been talked about at the afternoon tea hosted by your wonderful publisher and uh, they showed that fabulous video about your book. Obviously we'll talk a little bit about your book in a bit but it must have been quite fun being surrounded by all those people and chatting to them about your book just before it came out. It was absolutely incredible. That was such a lovely afternoon. I had to give that short speech before I actually met everyone and I was absolutely terrified about the speech. So I felt like meeting all the booksellers afterwards was kind of the reward for that. It was, yeah, it was really, really lovely. That's the first time I've been in a room like that with so many booksellers. So yeah, it was a pretty special afternoon. I I think all of us really liked it as well because it was obviously the first Bookseller Association conference for two years and it's a pretty magical couple of days for those of us that work in the indie book trade just to get everyone together to just bounce ideas around. And so that was actually the first event of the two days. So it was really good. Right, let's kick off by going back to your childhood, if you don't mind. You grew up in Surrey and the quote was, you were raised on a diet of books and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. (laughs) What do you remember about your childhood? Well, both those things featured quite heavily. I was a huge reader, but really books that I owned, like library books. So my dad and my sister and I, we would go to the library every weekend and come away with a big bag of books each. And then the rest of the week would be spent reading those books. And yeah, that was one of my favourite parts of the week. So other than that, I mean, I don't have anything particularly interesting to say about my childhood, actually. It was it was quite suburban. I went to school, I came home, I did my homework and read books. And that was sort of my life. I wish I could say something really fascinating, like I travelled around the world or no, it was very static. So which maybe is partly why I loved books so much. Maybe it was and always has been a huge escape. So yeah, a bit of escapism. It's so interesting. We are now on our third series of the podcast and the number of people I speak to, I I guess this isn't news, but the number of people I speak to that talk about how important the library was and how ingrained it was as part of their life as a child, having that process. We used to go to the town library, but also we used to have one of those amazing little library buses that came to my village. And that was just oh, the most magical thing. That's ever. amazing. You're so lucky. Imagine that having books brought to your door. Incredible. Yeah, it was very, very cool. So obviously you read quite a lot. Did you always remember reading or is it something that came slightly later in your childhood? No, I always read a lot. The thing is, I never reread things. So I think those early reading memories are really 
blurred. I struggle always to pick out kind of one book over another. I think series tend to have made the biggest impression on me just because there's so many of them that you kind of, you know, the characters become a bit more ingrained and you just remember reading them. But yes, I read from a very young age. And do you have a particular childhood book that stands out in your memory? It's something that meant a lot to you? Yeah, well, for the reason I just said, those early memories are extremely kind of hazy. And to pick out just one book is quite difficult. And I had to think about this much more than you would think, particularly because I write children's books, you think there should be one that really stands out above the others. I think this is obviously not one that I read particularly early, but Lord of the Rings kind of stands out for probably a slightly strange reason, which is that it took me multiple attempts to actually finish it. It was given to me for my birthday by my uncle, and he was so excited to give it to me because he knew I loved books. And he gave me this whole kind of speech about how much he'd loved it and how much it had meant to him. And I was really excited, so I sat down and started reading it straight away. And I loved the opening chapters. And then I got to Tom Bombadil, and <laughs> I stalled. and I remember a phone call with him and it bless him he asked me so how are you getting on with Lord of the Rings and I had to say oh well I've stopped because I just got to a bit that I couldn't get past and I could hear how disappointed he was so I thought I've got to go back and give it another go so I did and it happened again I got to Tom Bobadil and I persisted and I tried to read all those pages of beautifully constructed poetries and songs but again stalled same conversation again a few months later I think it probably took me two years to actually get to the point where I finished even the first book but I ended up doing something which I've never done for another book and wouldn't really advocate but I flipped ahead through the Tom Bombadil section and just thought how long is this guy around for and I realized it was quite a a contained part of the book so I thought I'm just gonna skip past this and just start reading when they leave and probably this will come back and bite me later and I'll really regret this I'll misunderstand something horribly later because I've skipped this but I didn't so I just kept reading from there and it never came back to bite me so it was quite a long process getting through that book but it was so worth it and not least for the phone call with my uncle when I finally finished it and told him that I'd made it and I actually loved it but it was also I think it was quite important in kind of opening up my eyes to what fantasy could be like it was definitely the first book that I read that was that kind of epic and had that scale of story and the scope of the world and and just the drama all the way through it so it was quite eye-opening yeah it takes you to a whole other place doesn't it yeah and I understand you you wanted to be a writer from an early age in fact you did write from a very early age Uh, tell me about the book you submitted to a publisher at the age of 11 (laughs) I think with hindsight I really shouldn't call it a book at all I think it was about three pages long and I I do remember specifically that it was heavily inspired by another book it was some sort of castaway adventure that I'd just finished and I sat down and started writing this story straight away and I I think if I compared the two they'd probably be suspiciously similar Fan fiction probably would even be too kind. It's just plagiarism, really. But I was very proud of it when I finished it and I wanted to be published. So I sent it to Penguin and they were very, very polite in the way that they turned me down and very encouraging as well. But yes, that was my first foray into trying to be published. It all went a bit pitong after that, though, because when I hit my teenage years, I stopped writing for a really long time. Actually, I think I didn't. I don't think I really wrote anything for about 15 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. But do you know, it's funny, obviously I see this less in terms of writing, but I see a lot in terms of reading. We have that rush of excitement about books that kids come into the shop up to the age of kind of 11 or 12, and then it really, really tails off. And then you start to get people back when they're about 18, 19. 
So there's a real kind of dip in teens. Um, yeah. I guess there's always just from the teenage perspective, suddenly there's all this new exciting stuff to be looking at so that it might not be quite as enthralling in their mind as the reading or writing. But it's great that you came back to it. It was so lucky, actually, because I was training as a nurse at the time and I made this new friend and she wrote in her spare time and, and she asked me to read what she was working on. And yeah, it was quite a light bulb moment, to be honest, because I realised I did still kind of have ideas and stuff. And I still on some level wanted to be a writer, but I just had totally stopped kind of making time for it or prioritising it at all. So meeting her really showed me it was possible to do more than one thing at once you know you can train to be a nurse and write at the same time so yeah yeah so that it's was one writing prioritization exercise isn't it like you say I mean yeah. very interesting talking to people like yourself that write or have written whilst working full-time or training or whatever everyone else is doing everyone seems to have a different approach to it some people I've spoken to will get up earlier in the morning and write first thing others will do it at night or over the weekend what was your approach well One of the good things about nursing is the, well, I mean, good in some respects, is that when you're doing shift work, you get days off sort of midweek, you know, you'll have like a day and a Thursday off um, and no one else is around because everyone else has normal jobs where they're, you know, in the office or something. So actually in terms of having time, I think shift work works quite well. The problem is that it's not consistent. So if you, I think everything has its own kind of problems or pros and cons, I suppose. So if you work in the office and you're trying to get up at 7am or earlier to fit work in beforehand, that's quite tiring. But if you're doing shift work and you have whole glorious days where you can write, but then they don't happen in a regular way. So it's difficult to feel like you're making consistent progress. But I have to admit, I wrote Fireball while I was on sabbatical. So I wasn't actually working full time while I wrote it. I hate to burst that bubble. I'm sorry. It sounds much more. Never mind. No, so tell me about that. So let's go back first of all. So you went to university, you studied biology, and then I understand you worked as a support worker and a nurse. Is that correct? I was a support worker first, and then I retrained as a nurse. So yeah. And then whilst you were working, the idea of the book came to you. So tell me about that. How did that come about? And, and then you talked about sabbatical. So what happened there? So I was working as a nurse and writing in my spare time. And my husband got a job in the States. It's the first time that had happened. So I asked for a sabbatical to be able to go with him. And I was working on a different idea at that time, but I kind of recognised almost immediately that having a few months off was absolutely golden. Mm. And there was sort of a crunch moment where I thought, well, am I going to keep working on the idea that I was working on or am I going to start something new? And I just had probably only a few weeks before I actually had the first idea for Fireborn and I felt really excited about it but I was a bit suspicious of how excited I was about it because that had happened quite a lot before I'd never actually finished a full draft I'd get halfway through which I now know is the most difficult stickiest kind of spot is in the middle halfway through a first draft conveniently I would always have a better idea when I was halfway through and I'd stop and start something else and so I was a little bit hesitant to give up on the idea I was working on but there did feel like there was something special about 12 as a character in the world that came attached to her so well I think I made the right decision I started work on that instead yeah I think you probably did make the right decision (laughs) so how long was your sabbatical for how long and did you get the bulk of the work done during that time or did that just kickstart you and then you carried it on when you came back what happened I did get the bulk of the work done in that time so it was seven months and I wrote a first draft and then edited extensively so you know it's a lot of going back over it but the bulk of the work was done then the job was then sort of extended and moved around so lots of other stuff came into play but yes most of the work was done in about seven months nice so yeah you say a bit of a luxury to be able to have that time 
absolutely and how did you structure your day when you were writing were you someone that would get up and kind of treat it like a full-time job or were you someone that wrote as the mood took you I'm always fascinated talking to writers about this because everyone has a different approach yeah well I mean it is one of the massive benefits of writing is that you can organize your day however you want so before I became a writer I always loved the idea of just you know maybe I'd go to a museum or something at lunch and I'd work in the morning and then I'd make up the hours in the evening or you know something like that and it turns out that I'm not like that at all I like to have structure so I I do treat it like a job so I try and be at my desk by kind of half nine and I work until kind of five or five thirty and it's quite structured but I find that I I get a bit frightened if I fall out of that habit because it seems like the motivation comes from yourself so if you let yourself start to drift with the times or the amount of time that you're spending on it I just worry like what if I just lost the motivation totally or I don't think it would happen but I like to be quite strict with myself just to keep myself honest yeah and if it works for you it works doesn't it so that's the way to do it but I can totally see what you mean you have this that lovely idea about being a bit of a lady of leisure during the day and then head down at night but if you're someone that is is good at just go I'd be exactly the same to be honest just kind of get up get on with it and then have your evening yeah so your debut novel, Fireborn, is published today. Congratulations. Thank you. After an eight-way publisher battle to win publication rights. What was it like as a debut author to get such a great response from the publishers? I have been asked this before, and I really um, struggled to like express it in terms of just how unexpected and incredible it was. So when I started writing Fireborn, I'd done quite a lot of research into the publication process. And what I came away with was quite, I felt like quite a clear understanding of how unlikely it all was. So I just thought, well, I'm going to write this book and I'm going to try and learn as much as I can from it. But everything that I thought I was learning was up until the point where I pressed send to agents. And then I thought after that, nothing will happen. So I'll have to start writing another book. But maybe that will be the book that, you know, so Fireborn was almost like a practice book for me. And when I pressed send to agents, I thought it was going to be this moment of triumph of saying, oh, I've written a book and I'm as happy with it as I can be. And, you know, I thought I'd feel really happy when I pressed send, but it actually, it was an incredibly sad day. I felt like I was saying goodbye to 12. I was like, oh, that's the end of her story. That's the end of, of her really. And that character. So when I started getting responses from agents and then later on from publishers back, it was just hugely kind of exciting because I realized that I was you know, going to get to tell the rest of her story, which is what I really wanted to do. So it was incredible. I think, yeah, one publisher would have been enough, but more than one was just completely mind blowing. So I think I still haven't really processed it, to be honest. It just seems like when I look back on that period, it seems like something I've kind of just dreamed up. It wasn't. It's happened. Um, <laughs> how long did the process take in terms of from the point where you submitted it to the agents to when you signed with your publisher? So I sent to agents in March and I signed with my agent in April. That was about a month, I think, between those two things. And then my agent is Claire Wilson. So she and I worked on the manuscript together for about three months um, and she sent it off to publishers in July and I signed with them in July. So it was actually quite a quick process once she sent out to the publishers. Very quick indeed. Right, so we've danced around the subject of Fireborn. We've talked about 12 briefly. Let's just, for anyone that hasn't heard about the book or obviously read the book, because it's, it's a new book, so people are going to discover it. Give us your elevator pitch. What's the book about? 
oh gosh, I'm terrible at elevator pitches. My elevator <laughs> pitch is me talking about the book for about five minutes. I will right. do my best. So the story follows 12 and she is a huntling, which means that she's given up her name in order to train at this place called the Hunting Lodge, where she learns how to fight the monsters that plague her world. Um, but she's come to the Hunting Lodge with a little bit of an ulterior motive. And that's something connected to this quite dark event in her past. Um, and that's something that keeps her quite isolated from her fellow Huntlings. So she's a solitary character at the beginning of the story. But when the hunting lodge is attacked, a little girl is kidnapped and 12 quite impulsively decides to set out on a quest to try and rescue her. She's a little bit horrified to discover that she's not the only one who's had that idea. And she's joined by the lodge's stone guardian, who's called Dog. He is a massive stone dog um, and two other Huntlings. They're all quite mismatched. So it's quite an ill-suited group that sets off on this quest together into the kind of the wilderness of the Fang Mountains and the incredibly dangerous frozen forest beyond. So the story really follows them on this journey and looks at the adventures that they have and the dangers that they face. There's quite a lot of dangers. There's also a lot of secrets within the group um, and the relationships sort of start to change as they travel together. And for 12, there's a more kind of emotional storyline as she tries to come to terms with that event in her past that I mentioned. And yeah, tries to kind of reconcile it, I suppose, with her present life and what she would like her future to be. Terrible elevator pitch, but that is what the story's about. <laughs> great. It was perfect. So the characters are all quite distinct, aren't they? Like you say, there's a bit of a mishmash of them. Where did the idea for all of the characters come from? Were you inspired by anything in real life that you translated or was it all just completely stuck in your mind no I mean the first spark of the whole world was 12 and actually it's not much of an exaggeration to say that everything kind of unfurled from her so she came to me when I was watching uh, my husband play a computer game called Horizon Zero Dawn and I have to say it's so strange to me that a computer game features in this story for where Fireborn came from because I don't actually play computer games so it's <laughs> just brilliant that that's part of the the story but um this particular computer game had this great heroine and I really enjoyed watching her and I think I enjoyed watching her because she reminded me of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Xena Warrior Princess and they were the characters that I'd loved when I was younger and I do remember the moment that she came to me 12 I mean because I was sitting on the sofa watching um, Aloy as the heroine of Horizon Zero Dawn and thinking about Buffy and Xena. And I remember just thinking to myself, well, why aren't you writing characters like this? And almost immediately 12 popped into my head and she was holding a pair of axes and I knew she needed them to fight monsters. Um, and she had this quite kind of fiery anger inside her. And it was in sort of examining her as a character that everything else kind of pulled into focus about the world. So the monsters came with her. So I knew that there were monsters in her world straight away. But her anger was like quite a surprise to me. And it was in trying to work out why she'd arrived as such an angry character that I realised that her family had been murdered. And sort of working backwards from that, asking a lot of questions like, why were her family murdered? Well, maybe there's all these clans in the world and they don't get on. Well, why don't they get on? Maybe it's because they all live in different environments and in completely different ways. And that's made them really suspicious of each other. And so kind of working outwards like that, the hunting lodge appeared alongside that and and even the other characters to some extent as well with the supporting cast kind of dog and and five and six they all kind of grew out of each other as well because I knew I wanted a group and I knew I wanted them to be mismatched and I knew I wanted five and six to be best friends but totally different so it was sort of almost like a I don't know a kind of game of shifting parts kind of moving different kind of characteristics around but 12 was always herself 
she was the first and probably most solid part of the world. It's so interesting hearing you talk about this because what's so wonderful about the kind of book you've written is there's no boundaries at all, is it? You can do anything because of the magical aspect. And what I love about it is, you know, you speak to kids a lot. This is obviously a middle grade book, so it's aimed at children. But we speak to children a lot in our job. We speak to them a lot when we go into schools and so on. And you see authors speaking to them and, and there's so much imagination. And so there's no restriction to their imagination. And then something seems to happen as we get older. And I just don't know when that happens, where suddenly as adults, we put lids on it, don't we? It must yeah. be really lovely to have just have that freedom to make this world just appear that makes it sound like it just happened lots of hard work (laughs) but you know just to have that freedom I guess to be able to create something so amazing I mean it just sounds like it would have been a lot of fun to do it really was actually yeah and I I feel like I'm still discovering parts of the world I think you're right that it feels quite kind of limitless I mean there are limits around the land there's an ocean around it but you know there's this desert to the south that no one's crossed so there might be something on the other side you know and it was hugely enjoyable to kind of create it and the monsters as well everything about it was just quite fun to be honest I just yeah I enjoyed it I love the fact that you said that she turned up and she had the axes and therefore you knew there were monsters that's brilliant and did you always know that you were going to be writing for children or did that just happen as well do you know that was never really a thought process actually so I said that I was working on other, other ideas before I started Fireborn. They were all children's and they were all fantasy. I think they just seem to be the ideas that come to me. It feels like quite a natural fit, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, I don't want to say I would never write anything else, but currently that definitely feels like the place that suits me really well. And I, just, I love reading it as well. So there's probably something in that. Middle grade fiction is such a brilliant part of um, the publishing world, I think the quality of the books that are coming out in that space is just so high and it's an absolute delight actually being able to recommend those kind of books to young people as they discover all these wonderful worlds so fast forward to today you're now living in London but you spent time as you said in in the US I believe you spent time in Australia as well yes yeah the last few years have been quite a lot of movement and I think we're going back to the US in a few weeks time so wow hot off the press yeah (laughs) news flash (laughs) So what's been, I mean, obviously, I don't want to talk about COVID very much because we, we're all a bit sick of talking about COVID, but it has been a bonkers 18 months and we have all lived through this crazy, crazy time. How's it been for you? Well, very strange. Last year, 2020, I always knew I had this long lead time before being published. So I knew that last year would be a very quiet year and just sort of writing. And I was quite looking forward to just having that time to get my head down and hopefully write book two and maybe even beyond I did not think that was the, literally the only thing that I would be doing I thought you know I might go to some book events I hoped I'd meet some other authors yeah obviously it was a much more intense year than I'd imagined um, and then this year was totally unexpected in a different way in that we ended up going to Australia and then in Australia everything was reversed because everything was open when we arrived and then locked down when we left so the last seven weeks we were there we were in lockdown and obviously when we left the UK and there was a lockdown imminently coming here so yeah it's been a topsy-turvy 18 months in lots of different ways. Yeah it's not going to be a time we're ever going to forget is it that's for sure. Mm. Some people have felt, when I've been talking to people about this, some people have said that the pandemic really impacted their ability to write, but also to read as well. Whereas other people said, no, do you know what, they completely embraced it. It was escapism from what was going on in reality. Which camp do you fall into? I did have a few, I think it was probably a week or so, which sounds pathetic when I say that now. I had a week or so where I couldn't concentrate on reading. 
and it's not very much time obviously but it actually terrified me because I've never had that before in my entire life I can't remember any time where I've not been able to concentrate on a book it's always been the thing that I go to when I am trying to escape stress or move into another world or out of my own headspace it's always been totally reliable for me but yeah last year there was that terrifying week where I couldn't read but Alice Oseman's Heartstopper got me back into reading again and I am so grateful to her for that because they are brilliant and yeah after that there was no problem I was able to read again so it was an extremely short-lived crisis but it was not a good week no no yeah. no if, if you if it's something you do and then suddenly you can't it, it's not funny at all and Heartstopper is a fantastic book that actually was one of those ones that took us quite by surprise at the shop um, and just kept selling and then you know the, the follow-ups have done well as well yeah it's fabulous yeah what was the last book you read? It was A Deadly Education by Naomi Novik. It's actually brilliant. It's set in this school for magic, but it is the most terrifying school for magic that I've ever come across in my life. All these young sorcerers are all tipped into the school and there's no way to get out unless you graduate. But the school is invested with monsters and the monsters just pick the students off over the years. And um, <laughs> it's such a sort of twisted concept, but it just works beautifully. And I think Naomi writes with this real kind of sense of humour as well. So her main character is this quite formidable sorcerer who has this real affinity for destructive spells, which you think would keep her massively safe from the monsters. But she's so powerful and so destructive that if she was to use any of them, she would annihilate all her fellow students as well. So she has to keep herself in check and she's absolutely furious about it so it's, just, it's such an excellent book it's yeah it's good fun I recommend from, it strong characters again in that book yeah do you always have one book on the go or are you one of those people that can read multiple things at once no I'm quite simple like that I like to just have one and be able to concentrate on it the only exception to that is if I'm reading non-fiction sometimes I'll read a fiction alongside it but then that's a really bad idea because often the fiction overtakes the non-fiction and if I'm reading fiction at the same time I always tend towards that so I have to be quite strict with myself when I'm reading non-fiction not to get <laughs> distracted <laughs> <laughs> I said to myself a few, well, actually it was probably last year that I needed to read more nonfiction. And so I would have one of each on the go at the same time as a sort of strategy, I suppose. It just hasn't worked at all. So now I need to come up with a new strategy for that. <laughs> the thing is with nonfiction, um, it's about finding the, the genre because nonfiction is so broad, isn't it? Yeah. It's finding that particular niche within nonfiction that I think capture, captures your attention. The things that do very well for us in Abingdon are the science books, because we've got a massive science population just outside of town, but equally people that come in would never look at those and would pick up a biography or a natural world book. And, and they're, they're so distinct. Yeah. Whereas fiction is a little bit more of a melting pot, isn't it? So. Yeah, this is a good point. I need yeah. to hone in my taste in nonfiction. Come back in a year and tell me what you've decided. Um, so as a bookseller and as a massive reader myself, I'm always interested in the impact that books can have on an individual. I have a theory that everybody has a book or some books that have had a really profound influence on them. And that could be professionally, it could be personally, and it could have happened at any point in their life. Do you have a book like that? And if so, what is the book? I think that I do. And it's The Screaming Staircase by Jonathan Stroud. It's the first book in the Lockwood & Co series. And so when I talk about The Screaming Staircase, I really am talking about the whole series. And it is my favourite children's series of all time. I only discovered it a few years ago, but it really just opened my eyes to how amazing children's fiction can be. Like something about it really jumped out and grabbed me and just spoke to me in a way that I hadn't probably experienced since 
actually being a child and reading those books. And I think when I try and analyse why, I think it's like a fast paced plot and like brilliant characters and very funny. But the thing that really took me by surprise was how frightening it was as well. Like there are some really quite frightening ghosts in the series. I'm an adult and there were moments where I felt genuinely frightened. And I think it really... Yeah, just opened up my eyes to what can be done in children's fiction. You can talk about anything. You can write about anything. It's, it's always, I suppose, about finding the tone and the balance of the fear and the funny. But I think he does it so brilliantly. And I will never be able to write like him. But, I, you know, I aspire to. So. so was when you say that had an impact on you, was that because it inspired you to put pen to paper kind of in a more serious way? Or was it just that it highlighted to you how good children's fiction could be? What was the impact that had on you? I think that... I was writing then, but I wasn't writing Fireborn. I think it just really inspired me to try and think big and to up my game and to be better. Yeah, I think that's kind of what it meant for me. Yeah, you're right. It's an absolutely fantastic series. And again, it comes back, the thing I love about children's fiction so much is you kind of hit the nail on the head there. There are certain things that children can then be exposed to in books in a way that's obviously fictional in terms of kind of books we're talking about here, but it can open their eyes to things that, may or may not be real but it can kind of take them up to a next level of understanding and I always found that really interesting when kids move from you know picture books up to middle grade and then from middle grade up to YA what those steps are and then what that means that the, the content is kind of broadening out to mm. um, I just think people can underestimate uh, how important that is I don't know if that's true I don't know <laughs> maybe I'm not giving people credit for it but I do think it's just such a magical thing within the realm of children's fiction yeah so we're recording this podcast just a couple of days before your book is published. So how have you found this whole experience, the run up to publication, uh, the actual kind of process of getting it out into the world? It's been very mixed, actually. So I already mentioned that there was quite a long lead time. So I signed a book deal with HarperCollins back in July 2019. So I always knew it would be over two years before the book came out. So there's been long periods of time where nothing really happens at all. It's just kind of me writing, which is actually really lovely to be able to kind of focus on books two and three like that. But yes, in the last few weeks and months, kind of more things have started to happen and it feels like things are definitely built up now. And that's been lovely too. It's just, it feels like two completely different sides of the same coin because your writing life is very kind of isolated sounds bad I like writing by myself and then the flip side of it all the promoting and all the exciting stuff from the build-up is kind of talking about the book and actually putting yourself out there and meeting people and things so it feels like two completely opposite jobs really but I'm, I'm enjoying both of them it's such a well it's just such an exciting time that the book's about to actually go out and meet hopefully some young readers who will enjoy it yeah. Oh, they definitely will. It's interesting what you say there, though, speaking to lots of different authors. Some people absolutely relish this whole time where they're going out and talking to people. But I think quite a lot of people are a little bit shocked when they've spent a lot of time sat at home writing the book. And then suddenly they're being told, you know, you go on the road and talk to people about it. And suddenly you have to be a public speaker and, and, <laughs> and come up with all new angles on it. It's, it's a very different skill set, isn't it? hugely different skill set and I think yeah it is a bit discombobulating I think yeah there's an element of performance in it maybe like with the public speaking and yeah mainly with the public speaking I suppose that feels kind of very like counterintuitive to me but then I love meeting people face to face and talking to them so it's it's definitely a mixed bag but I think really it's just 
an incredible sort of privilege to be able to talk to anyone about the book because it means the book's actually out there and it's going to be published so I have to keep saying that to myself like don't be scared it's this is an exciting experience and just lean into it and enjoy it because this you know it might be the only time this ever happens so go for it enjoy it I don't think it'll be the only time I can do stupid for that I think you've kind of already answered the question. I was going to ask what plans you've got for the coming weeks and months. Obviously, the immediate now is, is going to be about this book, but it's, you touched on the fact that you're working on some others. Yeah, so Fireborn is the first book in a trilogy. So I have, I was about to say I have written the second book, which makes it sound like it's totally finished. It's not, but it's with my editor at the moment. And book three, I have like a working draft that hasn't been seen by anyone yet, but it does exist. So that's quite exciting for me, actually, because it means that the whole series in varying stages of kind of completion does exist now. So mm. um, it's really lovely to just know that 12 story is kind of coming together. And I'm particularly pleased, actually, this is going to sound horribly smug, but I'm really pleased that I've managed to get a draft of the third book because I'm hoping that's going to make editing if I can work on books two and three alongside each other. I think that's going to make it a much more seamless journey, I suppose, for the characters. So yeah, it's actually really amazing that you've got the draft of the book there when the first book's only just come out. It just, like you say, it brings it all back together. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, congratulations on the publication of Fireborn. I think it's going to be an absolute huge success and I can't wait to have it in both my shops. I really wish you all the best in your career and I'm sure that we'll be hearing plenty from you again. Um, but thank you so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Um, it was lovely chatting to you and best of luck with your new book. Oh, thank you so much, Sarah. It was an absolute pleasure. I've loved it. All of the books mentioned during the podcast are available to buy from the Mostly Books website. This podcast has been presented and produced by members of the team at Mostly Books in Abingdon. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review and subscribe because apparently it helps people find us. <laughs>